Now, good evening. As uh, you've already been given a welcome, let me just have my personal welcome, please. It's always good to see people gathered, and uh, we're thankful for this time when we can turn to the Word of God, when we can think of things which are spiritual, things which are eternal, things which uh, really matter. And we're going to read in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, first of all, the book of Isaiah, just a couple of readings tonight, and uh, the first of them is in the book of Isaiah and chapter 32. first verse of Isaiah 32 says, Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness, and princes shall rule in judgment. And a man shall be as an hiding place from the wind, and a covert from the tempest, as rivers of water in a dry place, as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. And we're going to read a few verses from Psalm number 57. Back in your Bible to the book of Psalms and Psalm 57. Psalm 57 and verse 1. Be merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge, until these calamities be overpassed. I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up, Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. Now we trust that God will bless to us the reading of these scriptures tonight. It's good to turn to the word of God and know that we can read something that's reliable and true and uh, the proof of it is in the lives of so many people, men and women and young ones who've been saved through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I suppose two things have dominated the media, at least in this country, for the last week. And that is, who's going to win the presidential election and Hurricane Matthew? So when I was reading here in Isaiah chapter 32, I found it interesting that the first verse gives a statement, Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness. This world will soon see a period of administration. It will see a man reigning and ruling who will do so in righteousness. A kingdom where there will be no corruption. A kingdom where there will be no graft. Nobody will be getting paid off. There will be honesty. There will be peace. There will be charity. It will be a wonderful reign. 
And then we read of the second verse. And a man shall be a hiding place from the wind and a covert from the tempest. I want to speak to you just for a few minutes about a group of people just south of Jacksonville, Florida. And a few days ago, the warnings started to go out that um, <clears throat> Hurricane Matthew that was building in strength in the Caribbean was going to cross to the west and it, there was going to be a landfall and that there was a very strong probability that that area was going to be inundated and a uh, terrific storm and, and terrific winds and damage. And, and the response was that when the people in authority came and they said, well, um, uh, here uh, is a warning and, and this great hurricane is going to come in, he just laughed at them. <laughs> hurricane, really? No, no, not here. No, really. Look, it's a beautiful day. It's a lovely Floridian day, and uh, um, we're going to go out and play golf, and we're going to have dinner tonight, and everything's fine. And the people in authority said, no, 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 listen, listen. There is this great storm. It's building out in the Caribbean, and it is coming this way. And it might be fine today, but, but, but in a few days' time, it's going to be awful. There's going to be terrific calamity and, and, uh, and, and a worse storm than you have ever seen. But no, this group of people, they just laughed. And uh, so the folks in authority, they went away and then they came back the next day. And they said, look, j j just look up a moment. Look, see the, you see that very thin, kind of wispy kind of cloud just coming up? You see that? that, that that's... That's a warning that there's a storm on the way. Oh, no, we, no, we've seen that kind of thing before. No, it's no problem. There, there was no way of persuading these people that this great storm was going to break. They came back the next day. And by now, you could see on the horizon thick cloud bubbling up. Black cloud, dark cloud, storm cloud. And with all that storm cloud on the horizon, there was this great people, great, great group of people, and it didn't matter what warnings they were given, they just said, no, it's going to be fine. No, no, you're making it up. We'll be good. And in any case, even if a storm comes, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. We've had storms before. And you're sitting there and you're saying, but, but I watched the news, and, 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 and I read the papers, and Preacher, I'm not quite sure who this big group of people is because I didn't read of anybody like that down in Florida. I, I, when they were given warning, they, they packed up, they got in their cars, they fled north. Well, actually, you're quite right. There wasn't that group of people at all. If there had been that group of people, you'd have just said they were crazy. They would be completely stupid. When, when they're getting all these warnings of impending calamity uh, and they just laugh and jeer and say, yeah, but it's a fine day today and it's always going to be like that. Dear friends, there's hundreds and hundreds of men and women and they hear the gospel week in and week out. And part of that message is the fact that yes, a king is going to reign in righteousness and princes will rule in judgment in a day to come. But before that, there is a time of storm and calamity 
there is a time of terrible destruction coming upon this world and its arrival is imminent. It's coming. And men and women sit in comfortable halls like this and they're too polite to laugh outwardly maybe but in their hearts they're just kind of laughing and saying they think the man on the platform is crazy. I want to think with you just for a few minutes about what the Bible says of a coming storm. It is coming. And in fact, if your eyes were to be open to it, there is no doubt that, that we can see the clouds gathering on the horizon now. Conditions such in the world where we live that make it of no doubt whatsoever that everything that the Bible predicts about the very near future for you and for me is perfectly true. This world has, has been at enmity with God for a long, long time. Some 6,000 years of biblical history. And uh, that time is increasing. The strength of that feeling is getting worse and worse. And um, for all that there is still a pretense, particularly in Western society, there is still a pretense to have a sympathy for Christian things, by and large, that the world of men and the systems of men are utterly contrary to everything that God says. So when God speaks, men mock. When God speaks, they turn to those who are seeking to tell them what God says, and they just abuse them, and, and they, they mock them. And yet the, the storm clouds are gathering. There is, there is a very real evidence in the world in which we live that the systems of this world, the things that men in their ungodly ways have constructed, they're falling apart. It is clear from the country in which I live, with respect from the country in which you live, it's clear that the whole experiment with so-called democracy is falling apart. God never intended there to be democracy. God intended theocracy, the rule of God, the rule of heaven. That's how it will be in a future day when that man reigns in righteousness and peace. You see the product of it all. You look at the, you look at the world morally, and the vile things that are not only being done, but are being legislated for. Uh, you, you look at the world, whether it's in the scientific sense or the financial sense or whatever aspect of, of world life you want to look at, it is all falling apart. There, there is even amongst, well, amongst thinking people, there is a, a sense of impending crisis. Something is going to happen. Well, now let me tell you from the Bible what that something is. That something is when divine patience is exhausted with a world of ungodly men and women and a world that has been at enmity and at war with God for years. God is going to declare war on it. It's very soon. Back in 1939... Again, those same kind of storm clouds were gathering across Europe. And uh, Germany was on the rise. And all kinds of 
Different factors were making the pot boil. And in 1939, uh, Germany invaded Poland. And the United Kingdom had an agreement with Poland, a defense treaty. And so when Poland was invaded, Britain was brought into the thing and our ambassador in Berlin went to the German authorities and said, now, what you have done is contrary to uh, law and it is also... Uh, it has also contravened the sovereignty of Poland. We're involved in this. So now I am charged by His Majesty's government in the United Kingdom to tell you that if you don't withdraw your troops from Poland by a certain time, then Great Britain will be at war with you. Well, the ambassador was sent packing. And... Uh, <clears throat> Once he was safely back in the United Kingdom, then war was declared. The Second World War formally began. I, I think of what Paul, the apostle, wrote to the Corinthians in Second Corinthians chapter 5. And, and Paul wrote to the Corinthians telling them of his great burden to see them reconciled to God. And he said... We are ambassadors for Christ. That's what I am. Humbly, I trust, but that's what I am tonight as I stand before you. An ambassador for Christ. You see, an ambassador is, is a person given authority to represent the claims of an absent monarch in a foreign territory. And the one who one day will reign in righteousness upon this earth has been here before. He came to the very world he had made. He came to his own things, the Bible says. And the last time the Lord Jesus was here, the one who had made all things, we as a race of men, we took him and we crucified him. Although the guilt falls primarily upon his people Israel, nevertheless, the whole world was guilty before God. And we crucified the Lord Jesus Christ, and we put him to an open shame, and we said we won't have this man to reign over us. So now he is, well, he's that man in the picture in Luke chapter 19, uh, where you read of a nobleman who's gone into a far country to await his kingdom. Th that's the Lord Jesus today. That's the man of history. That's the man who was here, born at Bethlehem, who died at Calvary, who is the very source and subject of this gospel message. He's alive. God brought him again out from among the dead, and he's like that nobleman gone into a far country to await his kingdom. There's a man in heaven today, the Savior of sinners, the Son of God, and he's in heaven right now, and he's awaiting the time when he comes to establish his kingdom. So he's an absent monarch, and he has his ambassadors. And his ambassadors represent his claims and his interests in a foreign land. That's what we're doing tonight. We're representing the claims, not of some religion, not of some cult. We're representing the claims of God himself concerning his, person, the Lord, his son, the Lord Jesus.
Now, just as His Majesty's government in 1939 sent his ambassador to Berlin to make that pronouncement, that deadline, so Christ sends his ambassadors now. And just as it would, be, would have been unthinkable uh, had that ambassador come out of the Reichstag in Berlin and um, had he telephoned London and said to the foreign secretary and to the government, look, I've just been in and seen the chancellor and his people in the Reichstag and, and they've sent me packing. There's no way they're going to withdraw. Oh, well, in that case, says the defense minister, we'll start dropping bombs right now. So oh, you can't do that. No, 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 no. You can't do that. No, no, wait till the ambassador's safely home. That's what happened. The ambassador formally came back to the UK. That declaration of war that had been made then came into effect. Dear friends, I want you to understand this. This is real now. Not just preachers, Christians, those who know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, those who have made uh, a very crucial decision in a past day in their lives to, by faith, obey the gospel message. That they have repented before the living God of their sins. By faith they have laid their whole weight for eternity upon Christ as the only Savior of sinners. And God has forgiven their sins. They're saved from, from any prospect of punishment. And they're saved from the power of sin. And every one of those Christians is an ambassador for Christ. And God, through those ambassadors, is making known his claims. Repent! 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 Believe the gospel. And very, very soon, God is going to withdraw his ambassadors. The Bible makes it very clear that the absent king, the absent Lord Jesus, is going to come to the air, and in a moment, secretly and suddenly, he's going to remove from this world every believer in the Lord Jesus. And it could easily, easily happen before this meeting is finished. Crazy stuff? No, no. Our faith and our trust, our belief in these things lies not so much in the statements themselves in the Word of God. It lies in the one who wrote the Word of God. It lies in the one whose Word it is. God doesn't lie. Three quarters of this book was prophetic when it was written. A great deal of it has already been fulfilled. Any, any even human logic would say, when so much of it has already been fulfilled, any human logic would say the rest of it is going to be fulfilled. Don't you think that if ever the book had been written that showed how the Bible was wrong, don't you suppose if that book had been written it wouldn't be the bestseller that there ever was? This, by the way, remains the bestseller. The book that shows the Bible is wrong hasn't been written because it can't be written. Dear friends, we're telling you what the Word of God says. And this world is, is, is fast approaching a tremendous crisis. 
And God is about to declare war on a world that's at war with him. And before he declares war, his ambassadors will be withdrawn. Christ is going to come into the air. He's going to call to be with himself bodily, every Christian that he ever saved by the power of his precious blood. Could be today. Could be today. Will you be taken? Will you be left? Are you saved? Is your faith and trust in Christ? Has there been a time when you confessed your sins before a righteous God and cast yourself upon his mercy for salvation? My dear friends, tonight, if you're sitting here unsaved, I would hate, I wouldn't even for all the wealth in the world swap places with you. Because you, you, are, you are gambling with moments of time. Moments of time. And who knows, but the Lord Jesus could come to the air very, very soon. His church taken home. And when the ambassadors are withdrawn, that's when God declares war. And the Bible tells us about it. It will be an awful thing. Men and women, a world system that seemingly has sinned with impunity. And they mock and they laugh and they say, where is the promise of his coming? Have you noticed how even in the past few years, how sin has emboldened men? They do things which are dreadful and blasphemous and perverse. And when nothing happens, they say, see, there isn't a God at all, so we can do worse than this. God is just waiting for that cup to fill up. He's patient. He's long-suffering. Still in his mercy, the gospel is being preached. How many times have you heard it now? Perhaps you'll never hear it again. And very swiftly and suddenly, God's ambassadors will be withdrawn. And his war will begin. John, the apostle who wrote the book of the Revelation, was given great detail of how once those ambassadors have been withdrawn, once the believers in the Lord Jesus have been taken away from this world, then there will begin a seven-year program of terrible, terrible judgment. It will be in three series of judgment. Each series of judgment is a seven. And in the first series, the seventh judgment constitutes the next group of seven. The seventh judgment of the first series is the seven judgments of the next series. And the seventh judgment of that second series includes all the seven judgments of the third series. It's an orderly, campaign of an offended, righteous God against an ungodly world. Does this world want an ungodly man to rule over them? Very well, God says they'll have it. And that's the first judgment. The rise of a world dictator. It'll happen very suddenly. That's that first judgment where you've maybe heard about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The four, four horse riders 
and the first of them is on a white horse and he comes conquering. That's that world dictator. There follows him very swiftly a rider on a red horse and he's bringing warfare. World War Three will be a reality. In the wake of the red horse there comes a rider on a black horse and he's bringing with him death and famine and pestilence and all the awful things that come in the wake of awful warfare. And then it would send a shiver through you as the fourth horse rider comes and he's on a sickly, ghastly, pale horse. It's death. Disease. And a quarter of the earth's population perishes. All that and those that follow. Those fifth and sixth judgments in that series. The fifth one to do with terrible martyrdom. There will be a tremendous uprising against those who would, who would hold God in any honor at all. And this terrible persecution and this terrible martyrdom. And in the sixth, in the sixth, suddenly the very heavens themselves seem to start to fall apart and the sun turns black like sackcloth and stars begin to fall. And men, men who are so antagonistic to God and yet have thought that everything so far has just been caused by men or by nature, they now realize that God is dealing with them. But instead of, instead of repenting, instead of calling upon God for mercy, they'll call on the rocks and the hills to fall and cover them. But they'll not repent and they'll curse God. Should the Lord Jesus come tonight, and he could, to take his ambassadors home, I've just told you what's going to happen for the next three and a half years. And God will systematically destroy all the institutions of men and all the things about which they're proud. And when those first six judgments have unfolded, then the seventh will begin and that itself is a series of seven judgments and they're worse than the ones before. A lot worse. And when those judgments, they include... Terrible destruction to the earth's water supplies. They include an impact with the earth of a, of a celestial body. Men will give it a name. They'll call it wormwood. They'll see it approaching the world. It will be, it will be seen by the men with the telescopes. It will be seen by the, the astronomers. And they will give the warnings and people will say, come on, come on, it, it can't get worse than this, but it will. Until eventually it will be seen with the naked eye. And men will stand and they'll watch helpless as wormwood piles into this world. Vast numbers of death. And God will systematically reduce this world and everything the world of ungodly men has done to it 
and judgment by judgment and stage by stage, God will bring the whole thing to absolute and total ruin. So you're trying to scare me? No, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to tell you what's going to happen. What you will experience if you're spared. The moment that the Lord comes to the air and his believing people are taken home, you'll be left. And the judgments that will unfold You can read them for yourself from Revelation chapter 6 onwards. The judgments that will unfold are shocking and terrible. But my dear friend, listen, listen now. They're nothing to be compared with an eternity in the lake of fire. And just, if you thought that the picture I painted of men and women down there in Florida a few days ago Sneering at the idea of a heavy storm coming in, a hurricane coming in, a destructive force. And if you thought, well, that's a crazy picture he's just painted. There's nobody ever going to uh, uh, not heed warnings like that. Well, what about yourself? What about yourself when you're warned from the word of God what God is going to do to this world? What he's going to do with you if you will not repent and believe the gospel? That storm was soon passed. Uh, I I thought it very telling when they interviewed the chief of police in Jacksonville, Florida, and he said, listen, from now on, people can call 911, but there's nothing we can do to help them. We can give them advice, but if they haven't already left, there's nothing we can do to help. We're not risking ourselves. No further opportunity. That was just a hurricane. Just a hurricane. Bad enough if you're in it. But oh, think how it will be in that day when men will cry for the rocks and the hills to fall on them. In that day when demonic things are released from within the earth and, they, and they've got a sting like a terrible scorpion and men will scream for death for months and death won't come. Oh, terrible, terrible sufferings and affliction. And, and men, perhaps you, perhaps you among them will be fully conscious, knowing full well as the world begins to crumble into ruin under the weight of divine wrath and judgment. And all the time, all the time, you can recall the day you sat in a gospel hall in Midland Park, New Jersey. And in your heart, in your heart you said, this is crazy stuff. There's no way all that's going to happen. No way at all. It's just going to go on the way it is. And, and, and I'm going to gracefully grow old. And, and, and it's all going to be fine. No, my friend, it's not. You have to flee from the wrath to come. But where to? Where can you hide? Didn't one of your presidents famously say, there was a kind of a cliche before that, but didn't he famously say about the terrorists, you can run, but you can't hide? Well, the same is true of you. In that day of divine visitation of wrath, you can run, but you can't hide. But you can now. You can now. Before that awful storm breaks. Just now, while we've got opportunity, I must make haste and tell you, because the Lord might come before this meeting's finished. My friends, there is a hiding place. There is a place where you can shelter from the storm. 
And Isaiah's told us about him. It's not a church. It's not a religion. It's certainly not the shelter of your good works. He says a man shall be as a hiding place from the wind. A covert from the tempest. A man. That's why you need Christ as your Savior. That's why you need tonight to repent of your sins, to have dealings with God, and put your faith in the Lord Jesus as the only Savior of sinners. That man is your shelter. That man is your hiding place. If you're not in him, you're exposed to the full weight of divine wrath. See, how do I do it? How do I know it? Uh, what, what do you mean? If he's a real man, how can I be in him? Well, you see, the Bible uses an expression like this. It speaks about our association with Adam, the first man that ever lived, and the man God created. And, and because of our connection with him by natural birth, well, we're associated with everything he did. It, the, the Bible says we're in Adam. We're in Adam. We're closely linked with everything he was and everything he did. But when a person gets saved by the grace of God, that link with Adam is broken. And they're born again into a new family headed by Christ. And now the Bible says, we're in Christ. That same chapter, 2 Corinthians 5, where Paul speaks about us being ambassadors for Christ, in that very same chapter he says, if any man be in Christ. He's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So when a person gets saved, the Bible says they're in Christ. And he's the only shelter. He's the only hiding place. If you haven't got Christ, you're terribly exposed to the inevitable judgment and wrath of God. You have to be saved. You have to flee from the wrath to come. There's only one to whom you can flee. And that's Christ. That's why I read with you in Psalm 57. Because in Psalm 57, David, historically, they won't be able to do this when God begins, you know. This will be more precious and all the oil and all the gems and all the gold in the world because God is going to destroy the water supplies of this earth. That's why the Lord Jesus said, a cup of cold water given in my name. You can live without anything else except this. And God's going to destroy it all. David historically is hiding from Saul. King Saul is trying to kill him. And David's in a cave. But he knows that his real shelter isn't the cave. He lifts his heart to his God and he says, Be merciful unto me, O God. For my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge. What does that mean? It doesn't mean God has got wings. So, so, so what does the psalmist mean? In the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge. Well, if you went back to Exodus and chapter 25, 
you would read in that chapter how, how God gave instructions for his people to build him a sanctuary, build him a house. And one of the items of furniture in that house was called the mercy seat. It was beaten out of gold. It formed a lid, it formed a covering for the ark of the Lord. And in that mercy seat, from that mercy seat, that one piece of gold, there were beaten out two cherubim, two angels, their wings outstretched. And that mercy seat, with those inward-gazing angelic beings, would be the place where on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go in on behalf of God's people, and he would go in with the blood of a sacrifice that had been made at the altar outside. And in the, on that altar, at that altar, the justice of God had been satisfied. And a sacrifice had been made. It was through death. And it was through the shedding of blood. But then, then to demonstrate that, that God's justice had been satisfied, the high priest would take the blood into the holiest of all and he would sprinkle it before and on the mercy seat. So the blood that went on the mercy seat was blood that testified to the fact that God had been satisfied. A sacrifice had been made. Divine justice had been satisfied. A work had been done that meant the people of God were freed from the burden of their sins. That blood on the mercy seat was under the gaze and under the shadow of the wings of those angelic beings. They acted as divine witnesses to the fact, or witnesses to the fact that a divine work had been done. And David Doubtless thinking of that particular mercy seat within the house of God, he says, yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my trust. Those wings. Those wings that, that covered a place where blood had been sprinkled to show that a work had been done that had settled every divine claim. My dear friends, tonight you have to put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And blood has been shed. And God has looked upon that blood. And angelic beings testify to that. There is no question that the work of Christ necessary to enable sinners like you and me to be saved and sheltered from that awful coming storm the work has been done. Your faith tonight, not so much even in the work, must be in the person who did the work. For by faith are we saved. By grace are we saved through faith. It, it, is, it is the kindness of God. It's the goodness of God. My friend tonight, whoever you are, if you're not saved, listen, God has been very, very good to you tonight. He's warned you again. But he might have warned you for the last time. Judgment is coming. War is coming. The wrath of God is coming. 
You need to be saved. It's not even that if you're not saved, you say, well, I'll take my chance. As God deals with this world in awful judgment and all this sequence of terrible events takes place, you might say, well, I'll take my chance. It's a big chance you'd be taking right enough because two-thirds of the world's population will be dead at the end of it all. But supposing you were cynical enough to say, well, I'll take my chance. Listen, what I've described to you is only the beginning of something. If I were just to try and tell you, if I could, if I could try to begin to describe to you the awfulness of the suffering of a soul in eternal torment, I couldn't describe it and I doubt you could understand it. If we can understand anything at all, perhaps, it's when we look around and we see the scene all around us and realize that in a very short while, God's going to deal with it all. See that great New York skyline? It's not there by the end of Revelation 16. Neither is London. Neither is Toronto. Neither is Kuala Lumpur. Neither is any city in the world. Because at the end of all those judgments, God is going to send an earthquake so great, so massive, so terrible, that every city of the earth will fall. There won't be one left standing. Not one. And men will have returned to the most atavistic and cruel ways of self-survival. All shred of civilization will be gone. And assuming you have survived all the other judgments before it, that's what you would see before a final and terrible judgment where the Lord Jesus, whom you've rejected, consigns your soul to everlasting torment. Oh, my friend, tonight is a solemn meeting. And tonight you can be saved. Tonight, right where you are, if you would but bow your heart and acknowledge you're a sinner and speak to God about the whole thing, confess your need and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, right now, right tonight, you could be saved from all of that. For there's a man who's a hiding place. He's a shelter from the storm because he bore the storm himself. He bore it at Calvary. It wouldn't have been any good offering people in Haiti or Florida or anywhere else that was hit with Hurricane Matthew. It wouldn't have been any good offering them a little, a little kiosk made out of sticks and straw and say, well, stand in that and see if that works. That's all your good works would be. If you were going to be there, you would want to know that there was a shelter that could definitely stand the hammering that the storm would give it. And at Calvary, the Lord Jesus endured the storm of divine judgment. And he came out from it and he cried, it is finished. And after he'd been into death, God raised him from the dead to show that that work was complete. And that's where you need to be. You need that man. There is a man who's a hiding place. There is a man who's a shelter from the storm. And he's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's my Savior. And he can be your Savior too. But you need to repent. And you need to believe the gospel. And you need to be saved tonight. May God bless his word. Shall we pray?